This is the Team Church Podcast with Kevin Gerald, where we exist to move church forward and have the conversations that every team needs to be having. Welcome back to the Team Church Podcast with Kevin Gerald. Uh, My name is Brandon Stewart, and it is our honor that you have found this space today. Uh, This podcast exists to help teams everywhere have the conversations that they need to have. And so today, as always, our goal is to set up a conversation that you and your team uh, can continue. And uh, let me just say from the outset of today, today's conversation is special. It's one that I believe could really help and transform uh, your team, be a significant conversation for you as we move forward into a new year. Uh, Today, you're going to hear a conversation on biblical unity. Uh, Pastor Kevin recently sat down with Monique Dusson of the Center for Biblical Unity to have a conversation on critical race theory, unity, and the local church. Uh, we felt it so important, you know, in a season uh, that has seen our world and the local church really polarized by issues of race, uh, to have a conversation uh, to help us uh, get our heads around this and lead uh, with unity at the forefront moving forward. Uh, you're about to see that Monique has a strong and very unique voice. We love her at Team Church. Uh, as someone that used to subscribe to and advocate for critical race theory, uh, she has since launched the Center for Biblical Unity, which aims to lead respectful and Bible-centered conversations on race and unity. Uh, just a spoiler alert today, you're about to be challenged. You're about to be stretched in this very important two-part conversation. We pray it helps you and your team. Uh, so without further ado, here it is today, our conversation with Pastor Kevin and Monique Dusson on biblical unity, critical race theory, and the local church. Let's go. Monique, welcome to the program today and the podcast. We're so glad to have you here. Thanks so much. I'm so glad to be here. And uh, I'd like you to just, if you would, tell everyone a little bit about yourself, who you are. And, uh, you know, there's some people that are not familiar with you. So what do you do? And so forth. Could you start there? Yeah. Um, My name is Monique Dusan, and I am the founder of the Center for Biblical Unity. We are a nonprofit organization based just outside of Los Angeles, and we focus on conversations of race, unity, justice from a historically biblical perspective. And so when I say historically biblical, I mean, we're looking at the early church, about the first 300 years of the church to understand how we can best address the issues that we're seeing in our culture today. I completely believe that um, scripture has the what we need for life even today. And so in looking at the early church and how the church that was closest to Jesus actually handled some of these issues, I think we can also find a way forward in how we as Christians should address some of these issues. So that's what we do. We travel around. I have a partner. Her name is Krista Bontrager. And we travel around doing trainings and talking with church leaders and congregations on a biblical view of race, justice, and unity. So t- tell me this, what inspired you to do what you do? Inspired? I was hoodwinked and bamboozled. <laughs> no, let me tell you. So gosh, I lived in South Africa for four years from 2014 to 2018, came home and took almost a year um, just to kind of recover and acclimate back into American life. 
And gosh, I started working and was just fine. I, I, I have a background in social service. And so I was working as a program manager and I was, I was just good. And then I don't, gosh, this, this, see, we, this question wasn't on the notes. I don't think my <laughs> goodness. Um, then my, my partner, we, we were, we were just friends, um, said we should do a podcast. And I was like, what are we going to talk about? And she was like, all the things. And so we started a podcast called All the Things. So, so that's what I wanted to actually go to because uh, I, my understanding of how this all came about was that you had met your partner in ministry and you guys had some conversations. Yes. That so, ignited this. Yes. We would have conversations. I... A little history. I actually upheld a worldview or framework of critical race theory. And so when I moved home from South Africa, I actually moved in with Krista and her family. And we would have these conversations on race and justice issues. And I would just be like, you white, like, you don't know what, like, you don't have a right to even speak into this. And she would be like, that is the most racist thing I've ever heard. And I'm like, but you're racist for telling me. And so we would have these really hard conversations that were very honest, but we were in, we were committed to stay in it with one another. Mm. But we these conversations were rough, like yelling in tears. And yeah, it, it, it was rough. And, and so yet you guys, you remained friends and yes. grew closer together. And I just think that's a phenomenal element in in your story is that now you do ministry together. It it literally could only have been the Lord because there should have been reason I mean there were reasons why I could have walked away or should have walked away and there were reasons why she definitely could or should have walked away. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we just stayed in it and we started this podcast and you know, 40 views here, 60 views there. It was nothing. But we, once Krista understood the critical race theory framework and what I actually believed and how my brain was actually processing information in regards to culture, race, um, whiteness, white fragility, and those kind of things, we, we had different conversations. And she began to approach me from a biblical perspective. And I thought I was biblical. I was like, what are you trying to tell me? I'm not, I'm not right. She has two degrees in theology and began to break down to me some of the, the wordings and some of the, the phraseology and things like that. But even then, I'm stubborn. And I was just like, you know, I don't necessarily believe that. It wasn't until I got in a conversation with the Lord that he was like, you know, this isn't exactly not even exactly, this is wrong. Like you need to repent for this. This mm -hmm. is a, uh, a worldview or a way of seeing the world that really isn't in line with his heart. And so then I began to ask more questions and I began to, um, actually I talked with a, a Coptic Orthodox, like a deacon um, in the Coptic Orthodox church. And I just began to ask questions because the Coptic Orthodox church is one of the more ancient faith traditions. Mm -hmm. I wanted to know, what did you, what did, what did, what is your tradition uphold around justice and things like that? Because it, it is an ancient faith. Wow. But so I want to, I want yes. uh, to the critical, I want to get to the critical race theory. You brought it up. Uh, but first of all, let me just share with everyone 
that this past year for pastors, church leaders, uh, somewhere around the springtime, we all realized late, late winter, February, March, we all realized that our, our, our churches were going on lockdown and we weren't able to have services. Most of us have never experienced anything like that. And then it just felt like from there, the year got more complicated. Um, all of the racial strife that hit, I don't know, early summer, I guess, when it began, along with it being an election year and all the political strife in our churches. And, you know, pastors, in, in a lot of people's mind, they're, they're supposed to be experts on, on everything. And so uh, just speaking from my own experience this year, I felt, a lot, I felt like I had a lot of questions and a whole lot less answers. And so the, the way that I approached that was I felt like I, I was doing everything I was supposed to be doing, by the way, being told I was supposed to do in terms of sitting down with the black community of our church, black pastor friends, getting them on the phone and asking questions and listening. And I felt like I was learning but I was a bit confused because I felt like what one would say, another one would say the opposite. And I was feeling the pressure that we pastors sometimes feel of, you know, you need to speak up. But no, no, then, you know, you actually need to be quiet. And, and, and so the confusion got to the point where what I did, and now I'm, I'm glad I, I did this, then I just was reaching for something, but I started looking for people who were approaching the topics from a real biblical perspective. And, and my habit had been to listen to preachers preach and learn about how to lead people, leadership. I love leadership, I love teamwork. And I found myself lo looking for people who were talking about what's going on in the world right now from a biblical perspective that had the that had the biblical foundation and that's how I found you I wanted to share that with everyone that's where you came uh, kind of across my world and I started listening to you and you've helped me a lot and a lot of what you've shared with me I've shared with our staff our team and so I know I already told you this but I'm really delighted that you're here with us today and I want to begin or I want to I want to now segue over and have you explain to us, if you would, uh, critical race theory um, and, and how does it, for, I guess question number one, what is critical theory? And then what is critical race theory? And are they one and the same and how are they different and so forth? So to look at critical theory or critical race theory, we actually need to go back to Marxism. The Marxist thinkers, people like Horkheimer, Heidel, um, Mark Hughes, they actually were taking more of a critical look into Marxism and saw that there were some holes, some things that they felt were missing that could make it more robust and more impactful and take a deeper look into the society itself, aside from simply things like the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. Like, what are what are the, the ways in which society is being... Uh, oppressed, but it's it's more of like uplifted and or oppressed. And who are the ones who are doing the uplifting and who are the ones who are doing like who are being oppressed 
or um, like navigating society through a way that either keeps someone in a position of power or keeps someone in a position of having no power. And so they, the, this group of thinkers went on to create the Frankfurt School. The Frankfurt School itself is what developed what we now call critical theory. That has had a, a few twists and turns as it's come down the road. But what we see from the end of 1930, or not, I'm sorry, not 1930, about 1937, 1939, when some of these thinkers fled um, Europe from, from like Nazism, and came to the States, they landed in New York, they, we now see like what was critical legal studies. So looking at the end of the civil rights era, a lot of laws were passed. Derrick Bell and not Kimberly Crenshaw, I'm thinking of, I'm sorry, Derrick Bell specifically looked at what in the world is going on in the legal realm with race? Why have we passed all of these laws? And yet what we're seeing is that, you know, certain people still aren't, you know, traversing the legal system the way that we think that they should. They began to investigate this. They began to take a critical look into this using the methods of critical theory. Hmm. They developed what was called critical legal studies that lasted about, I'd say, a decade and or their research lasted about a decade, just looking into all of these different areas. And what they saw, I, I believe what they saw was just this look at race and how white people were not necessarily traversing the legal system the way that people of color were. And it was directly impacted from things like um, the civil rights era. And so you now get Kimberly Crenshaw involved and she develops what, what we see along with Derek Bell and um, Dr. Matsuda, this critical race theory. So looking at society, we're taking a critical look at society and we're saying, who are those who are uplifted or who are those who are um, oppressed? Who are the ones who are on the top and who are the ones who are on the bottom? This is a very lay explanation of it. To me, the best way to, to describe or define critical race theory is to, is to say that it's a critical look into society based on tribal groups. And when we're investigating those tribal groups, we're looking at who are the ones who are oppressed and who are the ones who are doing the oppressing, who are the oppressors. Mm -hmm. And we take that from critical theory that is that looked at, you know, how is society functioning? Let's take a critical look into society. After critical race theory, though, the, the, the critical theories took a shift and there has been the emergence of different critical theories. So now what we have is the critical social theories. So you get feminist theory, critical race theory, um, queer theory, ableism and child studies. There, there's a number of different studies that have come out, Latinx theory. So you have the critical social theories looking at how are different groups of people oppressed or how are they doing, you know, how are they oppressing someone else? So... So basically, critical theory has its own definition of things like social justice. Is that correct? Equality, family, things like that. It has its own belief system, which, and this is where we're going to go, which is uh, different than scripture and different than the gospel. 
So I would say that it's not that it has its own like dictionary. I think that that is being developed. What I see is that social justice warriors and people who uphold critical theory or critical race theory, Latinx theory, are redefining words that we have known, you know, for years. The word racism is now prejudice plus power. It's not, you know, that Bill is a racist and maybe participates in the KKK or, you know, is, is doing some something personally to me. It is now the person has a level of institutional power. And without that institutional power, you really cannot participate fully in racism. You might have prejudice, but to be racist, you actually need the institutional power as well. Okay, so I can't go any further until I ask you to tell your background because you were actually a part of and you were, you were fully convinced in the critical race theory indoctrinated in it. Is that correct? Yeah, I believed it. I think, I think growing up, some of these things are just things that, I mean, I grew up in South Los Angeles. Um, it, it was just conversation. I was there during the Rodney King riots. It just was part of the conversation, the, the idea of a glass ceiling, of needing to work twice as hard as someone who's white, as needing to, you know, understanding that you'll never make it as far, things like that. It was just part of the, the normal conversation. I could have this conversation with my teachers. I could have it with friends. I could have it with a parent or my friend's parents. It was just common knowledge. And mm -hmm. so understanding that i'm not saying it's, it was, it's truth i'm just saying that that was the common rhetoric but understanding that by the time i got into university i studied sociology and so in sociology you learn the social theories but it wasn't dissected or talked about in a way where it was it was i was told that hey this isn't as you know as a christian this isn't what we believe i did go to a christian university and this was not presented as like you know the world thinks this culture thinks this and as christians it's important for you to be able to distinguish between culture it's important that we know what people are thinking so we can address those concerns sure. but as a christian your identity is first in christ you find your culture you know you you uphold a kingdom culture first there there were just things that i i believe in school i just accepted and were things that were presented as truth and you know there was no pushback and i didn't at the time know to push back on it Wow. So, so you were fully indoctrinated in it. And then what, what changed that? How did that begin to shift for you personally? When I moved home from South Africa, I want two. there were two pivotal things. Well, maybe three. Um, I had an intern and she was at a small Bible college out here. And she was just, she would come into the office, she came into the office one time, I remember crying and just explaining like what was happening within her school and how many of the students of color were really demeaning and degrading white students for their whiteness, their white privilege, um, like systemic racism and all of these things. And so she didn't understand what was going on. And I began to just have conversations with her and see how these things were playing out. When I came home from South Africa, you know, America was a lot different than the America I left. I left with a very different president. 
And, and I believe that I came home seeing a lot of the tension, but not truly, you know, being able to understand, wow, this is, this is really deeper than anything I could have imagined being 10,000 miles away. And so Sarah, Sarah, her name was Sarah. Sarah was, you know, my intern and that was part of it. And then I was in conversations, as I mentioned before with Krista and those challenging conversations, they were difficult and causing me to really step into a place of reconciling, like, what do I believe? Do I really hold scripture as being above culture? But the main thing was my conversation with the Lord. It was just like, God, what's happening? I don't understand this. And, you know, if I'm honest, it was a conversation with God, you know, asking him to be able to handle Krista and the family on their white supremacy and white privilege and like all these things, the thoughts that they're thinking and not understanding when he spoke to my heart that I needed to repent. And I, I did not understand at all. It was definitely a conversation between the Lord and I. And from there though, you know, because God is gracious and because, you know, he wants to lead us in truth. I believe he just like started to unravel things for me in the scriptures. I mentioned having the conversations with the, the deacon from the Coptic faith and just really digging into what did the early church believe? Mm -hmm. What, what does the scripture say? And that, that I think was the thing that just kind of broke everything down for me. Yeah. And so that's been a couple of years ago. Is that right? Is it since you came back from? It's been about, so I'll be, let's see. I came home in June of 2018. So it'll okay. be three years in a, in a few months. Okay. So Black Lives Matter has been in existence as an organization for quite some time. Um, but it really hit the, the stage, the center stage of America um, this past summer. And there's been so much tension around the, the BLM in terms of hashtag and, and then also just as church leaders, a lot of pressure that I think it's safe to say that we have all felt pressure to use the hashtag Black Lives Matter. Um, and some of us have not, not done that because we quickly looked into the organizational part of it or a friend gave us a heads up. But the one thing that I found straight across the board is that I didn't have anyone that I knew, pastor friends, church leaders, who felt anything but a, a big amen to the, the, the three words, Black Lives Matter. I mean, there was this jubilant amen agreement um, but then what got odd was that it was like we, you couldn't also say all lives matter. You couldn't say all lives matter and so black lives matter. Or it just felt like you, you had to stay away from those three words, all lives matter, only say black lives matter. And then, and then it felt as if when we were talking about the, organ, the, the, the black lives matter, the organization was veiled in this purity and innocence. And I'd like you to 
I'd like you to talk a little bit about the Black Lives Matter and the statement itself, the hashtag of it, the organization, if you would. And for some of our audience that maybe hasn't, hasn't looked in or doesn't really know about the organization itself, if you would just speak to that. Okay, well, Black Lives Matter, I believe, was founded 2013, maybe. And they've been around about six, seven years. And it was founded by Patrice Colors and Opal. Uh, it's three women. Um, but their their stand is to, you know, unapologetically declare that Black Lives Matter. And I unapologetically support that. I'm Black. Like, I believe that Black Lives Matter. And yet I do not support their organization. And the organization, they, they have come out quite a few times declaring that they are trained Marxists, that they, you know, are not necessarily for the nuclear family, which, you know, scripture tells us is created and designed by God. They are for the black trans movement. There, there's a lot that is really antithetical to the Christian worldview within the Black Lives Matter um, organization. Now, when it comes to Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter, I don't say either one personally. I do believe that all lives matter. That is, you know, just something scripturally, I believe that we are all created in the image of God. The problem with All Lives Matter at this point is that it's just contentious. And so I feel like putting it on my Facebook hashtag or Twitter hashtag just is going to cause people to, to be riled up. And I don't want to do that. You know, I want to be responsible with people as well. And so I won't say All Lives Matter because I don't want to, to just get people riled up for no reason. Um, if someone were to come across my page and, you know, feel sure. like me and riled up. Yeah. But I will not say Black Lives Matter because of the organization. Now, even though I do strongly, strongly believe that Black Lives Matter, when if you put the hashtag, people don't know if you're talking about the movement or the organization. Most people don't understand the difference between the movement and the organization. Also, I've heard Patrice Colors mention, she's, and she's one of the founders, that the Black Lives Matter hashtag and movement is not to be separated from the organization. And so this movement that we want to acknowledge that Black Lives Matters should never be, be separated from the organization that is trained, mar trained by Marxism or um, run by trained Marxists that does not support the nuclear family and that supports the black trans movement, that those things are to remain connected. And so I can't, I don't feel like I can, you know, get on board with that. Then in addition to that, they do things like say the name. So if someone dies by, usually it's just the hands of a white police officer, they will, you know, you have to say this person's name and all that. That's all, that's a form of worship. And so I watched a, a, video a youtube video and you can look it up google it where patrice colors was explaining like this is a form of worship it's um like black african worship when you chant or say the name of the person that's died it's like calling on their spirit well that's i don't want to call on nobody else's spirit so this isn't something that i can get behind and i think that people need to understand before they begin to hashtag things what are you saying? And how is this going to be seen when someone comes to your feed, your page, whatever? Do they understand what you are truly standing for? There is a way to stand with brothers and sisters in the church without needing to 
join a movement that's Marxist. Wow. So let me ask you this, coming full circle and now kind of building off of that information, I'd like to talk a little bit about the church and how maybe you can help us today. Just, uh, I know you're not a pastor, but you have a place of observation and education that I have found really helpful. And so uh, today, let me just say, do you think we've taken a step backwards in terms of the quest for a unified church, a church that, uh, that, that is a church of diversity? Um, it, it feels to me that, that we have. Um, I, and that's from my own personal experience with our, our church, as well as churches across the nation, it feels like there's this big wall of separation that's been formed now and expectations that are going unmet. And, and I just wondered how, how do, you, do you, do you see that? Do you feel that um, from your perspective? From my perspective, I believe that there is division within at least the American church. I don't want to speak to a global church. Um, and I think it, it, it's beginning to fall along the ideological line, not even necessarily the black and white line. It's falling along the ideological line of do what do you uphold? Do you uphold social justice? Do you uphold critical race theory? Or do you not? And if you don't, then there is a, this is my camp and this is this camp. Do I believe that the church is taking a step back? I'm not sure that I think that the church is taking a step back. I think the church kind of got hit. It was kind of like a sucker punch and didn't, didn't really understand what was happening. And with that being said, it there has to be a call for pastors to hold to biblical Christianity, to historic Christianity, not feeling the need to sway with the culture not feeling the need to appease or, you know, to be afraid to, to stick with truth. If we don't stick with truth, I believe that we will have an even bigger split. I, I think if we don't stick with truth, we will lose more of the flock. And so it is, it is the truth that will protect us, mm. but we, we have to understand one, what's happening. And then two, speak into what's happening with people within our churches from a historically Christian perspective, because otherwise the culture will sweep them away. It'll look more appealing. I would attend, I was, I got in a circle of uh, relationships, black and white pastors, and I would attend group settings across the country back in the late eighties and nineties, where we would, the topic was diversity. The topic was how can we build a church that is rising above the, the white church, black church mentality and be bridge builders in our community to where the church can become one. So, so that's my framework. That's my history leading into 2020 that uh, it's probably the wrong verbiage when I say is the, is the church taking a step back? Um, that's probably not the right uh, way to phrase it, but I feel like that we now have a new, the, the approach is, is, is now more challenged, I guess, more complicating. Um, and I think a lot of white pastors today, when you say we have to speak the truth, we feel confused about our ability to actually, as 
white, you know, as I understand critical theory, first of all, it's it's oppressed and the oppressor. White male people of power are like, we're the, we're the ultimate bad guy. And so we do feel bridled. And, and I wanted to bring that out because I want to keep leading you toward recommendations, thoughts. What would you say to those of us in church leadership? I have a couple of thoughts. I would say that the mandate hasn't changed, build the church. The mandate hasn't changed to proclaim the word of God, to proclaim the gospel. The gospel doesn't change. The gospel is not true based on the color of your skin. Two plus two doesn't change because I'm black and you're white. Like there are things that are true. And this, this is where I'm saying that pastors have to step into the risk of speaking truth regardless of the color of their skin or the color of the skin of the people who are sitting in the pews listening to them. If we are going to maintain a historic Christian perspective within Christianity today and not lose sight of that, we are going to have to hold to truth. We're going to have to hold to the fact that, look, (laughs) racism is an issue of heart. It's not an issue of skin color. So when when we talk about racism, the sin of partiality, anyone can do that. Anyone can have a a heart that is partial towards someone and treat them unkindly or, um, you know, disrespectfully and things like that. How do we how do we handle or address issues that are that are in regards to the human heart? first. So what culture wants to do, culture wants to first tell us that these issues are issues of skin. They're not issues of skin. And it sounds cliche, and I think it's going around, but it really is true. It's not an issue of skin, but it's really an issue of sin. And we are all sinful. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And so if that is the case, it doesn't matter if I'm white or black. I can tell you, look, this is the issue that we're seeing in culture. And this is the truth. The, the truth is, is that critical race theory wants to divide us black and white. But when I look at the truth of scripture, I see in Ephesians that we are all adopted. When we are Christians, we are all adopted into the family of God. And so that makes you my brother and that makes you my sister. And if you are holding partiality in your heart, we might need to have conversations. Pastors can get back to church discipline. We know who the racists are in church. We know who the ones are who who really don't want to sit next to somebody, black or white. These aren't issues that are only directed at someone who is white. I can go into many a black church and know that a white person is not welcome. But how is that being addressed? There's a huge call on the white church and this huge appeal for every white church to be multicultural, but nobody's going in to Detroit and being like, hey, your church need to be multicultural. The, but in my personal belief, every church should be multicultural, but that's a, my, that, that's me. That's the way the Lord has designed me. When we look at the global church, we have a multicultural body. Now, I would rather have personally an all white church where I know that I'm welcomed than to go to a multicultural church where I know that as soon as I get into the parking lot, there's going to be at least 20 people who are giving me a side eye because I'm black. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking with church leaders, we need to understand that there is some truth that needs to be 
that needs to be said. And it doesn't matter your skin color. If you're white and you know that your black pastor friend is over here leading his flock astray, you need to speak into that. That's your responsibility. As a watchman, that is your responsibility. As a leader and a shepherd, you have that responsibility. And if you're black and you know that, that the white pastor over here and he leading his flock astray, you have to say something. We act out of out of personal righteousness. I don't act out of uh, in accordance with my skin tone. You know why you have, in my mind, uh, a lot of maybe the listeners don't know you as well yet or not familiar. Uh, but for me, you have credibility to say that. And here's why. Because I feel like you have been willing to step out into a place where I know that there are there are black Christians, black pastors, black individuals, people of color who right now would be upset and angry at you for saying the things you're saying and would make accusations against you. And so you're saying to us, hey, that's what we have to do if I'm interpreting you right, you're saying this is our job. Like we have to speak up for truth. We have to, we have to be willing to speak the truth in love versus shying away from it and not speaking up. I, so I, I, I'm thinking as you're talking, I'm thinking, well, wait, you don't know what it's like to be a pastor. The other part of me is going, but wait, she does know what it's like to actually put yourself out there and be vulnerable to the criticism that you're going to take whenever you go the route of Bible truth versus the common themes of our society today? You know, I think, um, I think that, well, one, no, I'm not a pastor. And, and I can't imagine the pressure that pastors are under. You know, Kristen, I pray for pastors and we regularly get emails from pastors who are torn, who feel like they don't know what to do because they want to speak truth. But then if they speak truth, these couples over here are going to leave and take their family and it's risking a church split and all of those things. And our, our call is always back to scripture. Our call is always back to truth, to the word of God. And it's not going to be easy. Yes, I've lost friends. That, that is, that, that's part of it. Um, and so when when we think about to me like speaking truth and who can speak truth and who can't speak truth, when we're starting in the house of God, and I'm not talking about going out into culture, I'm talking about when we're starting with brothers and sisters in the house of God, we should be calling people back to the fact that my my skin tone is secondary. My ethnicity is secondary because I now have a kingdom culture, and that is what is first. My identity is first in Christ. And so I can give you truth based on the word, because we have the same identity. I'm not, Paul says, we don't regard people according to the old man anymore. Same Corinthians. And so if I'm not regarding you according to the old man, and you're not regarding me to the, as you know, my old man, then we can come and we can have that conversation. It does, it, it, it isn't, it isn't bound up in your culture. It isn't bound up in your skin tone anymore. And by the way, what we're referring to is, isn't it one of the, the uh, basic tenets of, of, um, of critical theory, critical race theory, is that as a white person, 
um, I'm supposed to be quiet on these topics. Is, is that right? I'm, I'm supposed yes. to be. There's a lot of instructions. So you can listen or lament, repent, and legislate. Listen, lament, l- repent, and legislate, any combination of that. But then you're also told to use your voice and speak out and stand up and read the books. And, you know, there, there's a lot of conflicting information. And I saw this a lot when um, George Floyd, that the, the George Floyd incident happened, that here we have people screaming, well, you, you don't have any right to say anything. You're white. You just need to legislate, repent of your whiteness. You're fragile. So because of your white fragility, that isn't, you know, or, or your white supremacy, you have no room to speak. And then you can go the next, next person under in your Facebook feed. And it's like, you should be using your voice. You should be outraged. You should speak out. You should protest. You have to do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. Yes. I can tell you, first of all, that we don't rush to judgment as Christians. Right. We wait for the matter to be, to be resolved, to be, we wait, we wait for the evidence. So 12 hours after a murder or 12 hours after a gunfight, I don't know, 12 hours after an incident, you know, I'm not rushing to judgment and saying this is racism because this person's white and that person's black. I am praying and I am waiting for evidence. Now, if it's racist, then it's racist. And I'm gonna call it that. Racism exists. I am not in any way saying that racism does not exist. Right. I'm just saying that our approach to how we handle issues of racism and justice needs to be specifically Christian. And is racism, I mean, right now it feels like racism, every time you hear the word, it is a, an accusation made against the whites only. And is, is racism actually just a white issue? Yes. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> it's not. No, 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 no. Again, I mentioned this earlier. Racism is an, a sin of partiality. It's, it's, it's judging someone else differently than I would judge this person over here. It's an issue of partiality. It's a sin issue. It's an issue of the heart and anyone can have it. And I would, I would venture to say that we all have it somewhere in our hearts, that issue of partiality. It just may not be your main issue. Your main, your main issue may be like me shopping. You know, that, that could be your main issue. And you need to go ahead and get that in check with the Lord. But, you know, we all have things that we need to sort out with fear and trembling. We all have things that we need to sort out with the Lord in regards to our sanctification so while somebody may stand up and say, I've never had a racist thought in my life, that's between them and the Lord to talk about. Now, if you treat me in some kind of manner, I'm going to have to let you know and be like, excuse me, this right here. But, you know, we don't, one, we don't just assume that if someone holds the door for you and doesn't hold the door for me, that it's racist. They might hold the door for you because you're a pastor. They might hold the door for you because you're meek and mild. And sometimes I got an attitude, you know, it doesn't. I can't assume that people are racist because of this. I also can't just say that only one group sins. There is no place in scripture where only one group sins or where one group is excluded from a specific sin. So Monique, let me ask you this question. Uh, Recently, I have been asking at universities, uh, Christian universities and so forth, is there any curriculum that we could utilize that would help us to, A, better understand what is 
being taught as critical theory, and then B, to be able to put it up against scripture um, so that we can teach and train. Do you have that in Christian universities? And so far, I haven't found anyone who has something like that or curriculum like that. So do you have anything that that you know about or could suggest to us? As far as, you know, uh, a curriculum that's been around, no, I don't. We've been searching as well, and it's not there. A friend of mine, Dr. Thaddeus Williams, just completed a book. It's coming out on December 23rd, and it's called Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth. I'm going to hold it up to my camera so you can see it. I'll let everybody know really those good. are my arms because that's important. <laughs> those and are I your think, arms? <laughs> yes. Yes. You're an arm model. <laughs> I really am. I, you know, and I feel proud about it, honestly, but I help to contribute to the book. This book looks at social justice, A, and I don't hold to the social justice like the wording social justice, but what Thaddeus did for context, especially with the younger generation, he looks at social justice A, which is a biblical version of justice and social justice B, which is our secular version of justice. And he threads it out and really looks at why biblical justice is not social justice. What are the questions Christians should be asking about justice and critical race theory? And how do we uphold a model for biblical justice? Mm, very good. Well, I think you can see after the conversation today, this is a vital conversation we need to be having. And guess what? We are going to continue this next month in part two of this conversation. Pray it helps you. Hey, however you're listening to this today or watching this, why don't you hit the subscribe button? Plan to join us next month in the new year uh, as we continue this. As well, in the meantime, feel free to go back, uh, binge watch some previous episodes. Lots of good stuff here for you and your team to dive into as we head into 2021. Uh, Team Church, we love you. Uh, we're we're praying for you today. We're standing with you. It's an honor to do life and ministry with this tribe. If there's any way that we can help you or stand with you, please reach out and let us know. But as we head into a new year, let me just say we love you. We're with you, and um, praying God's best uh, for you and your church as we move church forward in 2021. Uh, God bless you, Team Church. This has been the Team Church podcast with Kevin Gerald. For more information on conferences and events, check out teamchurchconference.com.